darkest of nights to a world gasping a desert land it came in the hush to a world waiting as a shadow waits it came as a flutter a twilight bird wings breaking the deepest waters the cries of dreams the sighs of souls it came tender in the murmur of the newborn in the ache of the swollen heart it came as a whisper soft on the lips of hillsides child who would be called Jesus and known as the Savior of the world. In our series Christmas Kaleidoscope, we're looking at the different names that are given to Jesus. Each one of them, like a kaleidoscope, gives us a new perspective, a new layer of the beauty that is given to us at Christmas through this story of the child that was born. In fact, this week we're looking at the name Emmanuel. And we're actually picking up right where we left off last week, in a moment where Joseph is having a dream, a vision of an angel who has been speaking to him, who tells him that the child will be named Jesus. So look at these verses from the book of Matthew. It says, And he will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So all this was done that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by, through the prophet by the Lord, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. I love this name. In fact, this is one of the most exciting things I think you find in the Bible. The idea of the name that means God with us. But what I think is so funny about this passage is Joseph just finished hearing the angel say, and the child shall be called Jesus. You will call his name Jesus. Then Matthew, who's writing this story, says, it's just like the prophecy. The child will be called Emmanuel. And I'm thinking, 
hold on a second, did I read that wrong? Like, you go back up two lines. No, it definitely says Jesus. How would you make that mistake two lines later? Well, it helps to know that names in the Bible are often more like a sentence that describes the person that they are given to. And so the name Jesus, as we saw last week, means salvation of the Lord, because he is going to save the people from their sins. That's what Jesus came to do. His personal name, Jesus, describes why he was here. Emmanuel, then, as the next look through the kaleidoscope, is almost more like a title. So this happens a little bit in English, but for example, if his personal name is Jesus, they're saying that when you hear that name, you'll call his name Emmanuel. So one example I thought of was like a coach when you play sports. My coach in varsity basketball in high school was Dale Cruz. But I never called him Dale Cruz. When I heard the name Dale Cruz, I called his name Coach. That's a little bit what this is like for Jesus. Jesus is his personal name. That is why he's here. And when you hear that name, you will call his name Emmanuel because he is God with us. In fact, that concept of God with us is one of the main themes of the entire Bible. You can track it from the front cover to the back cover all the way through. And it started right in the Garden of Eden, where the Bible describes how Adam and Eve had such a connection with God, they actually took walks with him in the cool of the evening. And everything was as it was always meant to be. But when pride, self-centeredness, all of the things that the Bible would call, call sin came into the world, that connection was broken. But instead of bailing out, God said, I want you to always know, I want you to be sure that I have a plan to be with you. And so he gave them this thing called the tent of meeting, a physical place they could look to and know we can meet God here. We can find forgiveness here. Eventually that tent was replaced by the temple, brick and mortar, where they could go and know that God is with us. But after years of ignoring God, which I think a lot of us have done, they were taken into captivity in a foreign nation. The temple was destroyed and now... The people thought, God can't be with us anymore. And so it was in that moment that God sent them a prophecy that the child would be born who would be called Emmanuel. No longer was he going to be with them in the tent or in the temple, but in the flesh. And they waited for centuries for Emmanuel to come. Can you imagine what it's like to long for God with us? What would it be like if in your greatest moment of triumph or your greatest crisis, on your worst day, if you knew that God was with you? That is the sense of anticipation and the sense of longing behind the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. Good stuff. You know, I don't know if you've ever played with a kaleidoscope as a kid, but some of them, they just have like glitter or something in there, but some of them have specific shapes and pictures that if you keep turning, it's like everything is a jumble, and then all of a sudden, oh, it's a butterfly. Oh, I see. Oh, now it's a jumble again. Sometimes it just takes a little more time to keep learning to understand what God is showing us. And I think that's a bit what it's like as we explore these names of Jesus 
who he was, why he came, what he was trying to speak to us through all of these things. Because, like you, I love at the Christmas season, I want to hear that. Rejoice, rejoice. I want to feel peace. If I'm honest, I want to feel nostalgia. I want it to feel like when I was like 12 and I opened my Super Nintendo on Christmas morning. And You lose some of that, don't you? Like the anticipation isn't quite what it was when you were a kid. You know, maybe you can live that vicariously through your kids or your grandkids. Because we want that. We want that feeling. We want that joy. We want that peace. And sometimes that's the jumble of the kaleidoscope. Where it feels sort of clear. I kind of know what this is. But what about the supernatural part of this whole Christmas thing? Can I have rejoice and peace on earth? And can I have all those things without the supernatural? Or is that really the place that it's coming from? How do we react to that? And I think looking at a little more of Joseph's own story helps me here because of how he reacted. So right after he hears this whole thing from the angel, and you realize how mixed up his life is becoming. That his fiance, who he hasn't even been with, he's being told by an angel that she's going to have a miracle child. That he's going to be God on earth. I mean, if you're Joseph, what are you thinking? But this is his response. In verse 24, it says, Then Joseph, being aroused from sleep, did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took to him his wife. So instead of putting Mary away, he went ahead and married her. But he did not know her. It means they didn't sleep together till she had brought forth her firstborn son and he called his name Jesus. So as difficult as this was for him, he took a step in which he chose to believe at the very least that this was possible. You know, for him, I think there had to be some doubts. There had to be some questions lingering still, right? How could there not? And yet, there was something in him that was at least open to this idea that the supernatural could happen. Now, I think it's important for us to recognize that in him because we hear Joseph and Mary and and little baby Jesus, and we see these manger scenes as we drive around town. It's like, oh, look, there's Joseph. And he's like this ancient figure in our minds, almost a mythic figure. And yet Joseph was not an ancient figure to himself. (laughs) Joseph was a modern man to Joseph. He had a career. He had his own business. He was preparing for life with a family and providing for them. He was the most technologically up-to-date human that had ever lived on the planet at the time that he was alive. And yet, he chose to believe that this was possible. And I think that gives a, a question for us today. Are you open to the possibility of God with us? Right? If I'm shut down to that possibility, then the message of Christmas, and the message that the Bible presents about it, leads me in a lot of strange directions because it keeps saying that the joy, the peace, the hope are coming from Jesus. But are you open to the possibility that the supernatural might have happened here and that God might actually want to be with you? You see, because of that, Joseph began to see these things at work in his own life. About a week ago, I was hanging out with my friend. His name is James, but I'm going to call him Pep because that's his nickname. And if I try to stick with James, I'm going to switch halfway through and you'll all be confused. (laughs) So I was hanging out with Pep, and I, I used to see him all the time. We used to play basketball together. I would see him at least once a week. 
But now, just with COVID and everything else that's gone on in the world, I had not seen him in person for two years. But I was, uh, I was near him for Thanksgiving, and I said, you know what, dude? Let's get together. Because earlier that week, kind of out of the blue, he had texted me, hey, how you doing? I'm good. You know, things are good. How about you? It's been a really tough year. That was it. That's all he said. Man, that's not like Pep. Usually our texts are, are pretty surface until we can get together to talk. So to me, that said, like, there's something he wants to talk about. So while I was there, I said, hey, let's get together. We, we just got together for breakfast, and as we were sitting and talking, I was thinking I'm going to hear something about how COVID is tough. You know, I know it has been for all of us. You know, some of us, are, it's, it's tougher. Maybe we're still at home and still trying to be careful. But that's not what I heard from him. On top of that, they'd had four deaths in the family just like in the last six months. And as he explained it to me, he was like, it's not the ones that are like four layers removed. These were four of the top ten people that I am closest to in my life, and I've lost them all this year. And so as we got to talking about this, Pep is a guy who believes that God is real. He's not sure that it's the God of the Bible, and he's not sure what to do with Jesus. But he was trying to figure out how God relates to this whole thing. Like, if God cares about me and if God is with me, then how do I process these things? And, and is there something, you know, he was looking for that he could take hold of that gives him hope beyond just the momentary circumstances? That gives him hope beyond just this life? So it got pretty deep pretty quick. We had about 30 seconds of basketball, and then we started getting into the real-life stuff. And so as we were talking, I, I honestly don't even know how we got here, but one of the things you hear in that song, O Come Emmanuel is that Christians today are not only celebrating Jesus' first coming, but waiting for his second coming. When all of the promises of the Bible are finally wrapped up and come true. And so somewhere in there, I just, I just asked him, like, our, our friendship is deep enough. I thought, let's just go there. Hey, man, do you, let me ask you this. Like, do you believe that Jesus is coming back? And I love what he said. He said, I don't not believe it. Okay. That's, I think that's, I think I'm cool with that. What is it? All right, that, that is a double negative though. So go ahead and can you just tease that out for me? And so basically what he said was, um, there's a part of him that he likes what he sees in the Bible because he definitely believes that what Jesus taught is the way that we should live. He definitely believes that Jesus was a real person and that everything that he modeled was like the best version of humanity. You love your neighbor like that. You take care of the poor like that. You speak truth when you need to like that, but you're willing to love everybody. That's what I want my life to be like, patient and kind and joyful and gracious. I'm just not convinced about the supernatural part of it. But if he comes back and I'll realize, well, I guess he came back. I'm, I'm open to the idea. Well, I tell you what, I, I don't know where this journey ends up for Pep, but that was so refreshing in that conversation because part of what we realized is while currently our, our beliefs about Jesus are in a different place, I definitely believe that he's God and I believe that he's coming back and that's where I put a lot of my hope. Neither of us wanted to be the guy who just plugs their ears and says, well, I just believe Jesus because that's what somebody told me I'm supposed to believe. Right? I want to do more homework than that. And neither of us wants to be the person who just says, well, supernatural sounds goofy and I don't want to look like an idiot so I'm not open to that either. Somewhere in between is the space to explore the possibility of God with us. To be open to that idea. 
And so what we're doing over the next month, he and I together, we're just reading one of the biographies that the Bible has about Jesus. Like, let, let the Bible speak for itself. What does it claim about who Jesus is? The kinds of things that we're digging into in this series and in this book and in these names. And so I wonder, are you open to that possibility? You see, Joseph was, and I think the reason that he was, if we back up a couple lines to that bit about the prophecy, it says, all of this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. You see, the picture here is that Joseph may have already had something in mind that when this message comes, he could think, is it possible? Could that be the thing, the thing that we've waited for? And that thing was a prophecy by a prophet named Isaiah. Now, we hear about Isaiah a lot at Christmas because Isaiah was the prophet who kept prophesying about a child who will be born, a son who will be given. But you got to understand kind of how prophecy works in the Bible because if I'm Joseph, when I hear prophecy, I'm thinking, like, am I really supposed to believe that some guy who, as, as much as Joseph is like 2,000 years earlier than us, Isaiah was another 700 earlier than Joseph. Am I really supposed to believe there was a guy 700 years ago that knew the future? Well, here's what's interesting about biblical prophets. Most of them, including Isaiah, when they came to tell people, God has a message for you, it it often included, because you're not doing what God has asked you to do. You're ignoring God. So I don't know about you, but when people start pointing at me like that, and they get the eyebrows go down, and you say, yeah, keep it to yourself, man. Right? Most of the prophets in the Bible were completely ignored in their own time. One, because we don't want people telling us what to do. We want to live how we want to live, and God can keep it to himself, right? But the other reason is, prophecy in the Bible is not men predicting the future. And it's not vague. You know, like some of this Nostradamus stuff you read, you're like, whoa, how do you know? But then you look at what he actually wrote, and it's so incredibly vague, you could apply it to like a hundred different things and feel like maybe he was right. Prophecy in the Bible is incredibly specific, because what it describes is that it is God telling humans the history that's about to happen. And so often the prophets themselves didn't even understand their entire message. All they knew was, this is what God said. Now Isaiah particularly is an interesting one because some of the things that he said about the Assyrian Empire, the Babylonian Empire, and the fall of Egypt are so incredibly specific that scholars have tried to figure out if it's possible that Isaiah lived after the fact. It's just too specific. He must have already seen it happen. But within his own text and within scholarly research, there are so many indicators that he actually lived before it happened that we really can't position him afterwards. You see, that's why the book of Isaiah, there's a whole book in here named after that guy, 66 chapters in Isaiah, because it came true. See, if Isaiah prophesies things and then they don't happen, would you write it down, teach it to your kids, and pass it on for 700 years until Joseph can read it? I wouldn't. Children, I found this lie that I would like to share with you today. (laughs) No. I mean, there are dozens and hundreds of prophets who are not kept and not recorded because they prophesied and it didn't happen. 
If it doesn't happen, they're not a prophet. God hasn't told them anything. Isaiah has been saved now for nearly 3,000 years because the things he said kept coming true. And if he was right about Assyria, he was right about Babylon, he was right about Egypt, maybe he's right about the child. Maybe he's right about the second coming. In fact, in Isaiah's own day, one of the main people he spoke to was a king named Ahaz. Now, Ahaz was a wicked king, definitely in the category of guys that needs a warning. And if I took the time to tell you why, you would all agree with me. So Isaiah comes to Ahaz because despite his wickedness, God still wants to offer Ahaz mercy and forgiveness and a sign. So Isaiah comes to Ahaz and says, you should ask God for a sign. And Ahaz says, no, no, I don't think I'm going to do that. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, dude, that was your chance. Like how many people have God tell them, go ahead, ask me for a sign. I'll give it to you. Nah, I wouldn't want to put you out, God. So obviously he's, he's not really open to what God would say in his life. He's not really open to the fact that God might do a sign. And so this is how Isaiah responds to him. He says, Hear now, O house of David. That's Ahaz's family line. Is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. The same word that means God with us. What I love about this is that the fact that Ahab wasn't open to this, Ahaz wasn't open to this possibility did not stop what God was planning to do. In fact, all it really means is that Ahaz is going to miss out on the good stuff he could have enjoyed if he was open to God with us. If he was open to the possibility of Emmanuel. And if you read the rest of his story in that book, you find that he missed out on some really good things and he faced some really painful consequences because he wasn't open to that possibility. You see, the message that Isaiah is trying to offer us is that, hey, it's a legitimate question. Because just like Joseph in his own time sees himself as a modern man, Isaiah saw himself as a modern man. Ahaz saw himself as a modern man. It's reasonable to ask questions. You know, God wants us to test these things. If somebody comes in and says, I know the future, I'm going to say, prove it. Which is why there were things that came true even in Isaiah's own life that make you start to wonder if he's right about the rest. And so then this story starts to be repeated for centuries and for generations. So get in your head right now. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Or, Or your favorite Christmas story? My kids are still young, so we have a lot of Christmas books around the house. Things that we read every year. Uh, You know how this goes, right? Like your kids can like quote them back to you. It's almost like you don't even need the book anymore. We've got uh, The Legend of the Christmas Stocking. That's a fun one. The Christmas Story. Obviously, that's, that's right there about Jesus. We even bought the novelization of A Charlie Brown Christmas. Very nice, very nice. Or one of my favorites, I don't know, I just love this one, is How the Grinch Stole Christmas. Like, how many of you, I could put this down, and you could probably, like, you you wouldn't even realize it. But you could probably quote the whole thing. Every Who, down in Whoville, 
liked Christmas a lot. But the Grinch, who lived just north of Whoville, did not. We could keep going, couldn't we? We could keep going. We're going to skip to the end, though, because I'll bet you know this part, too. He brought back the toys and the food for the feast. And he, he himself, the Grinch, carved the roast beast. Every year you hear this, I'll bet you multiple times, until you don't even realize it's just in your subconscious. When Christmas rolls around, you're thinking about the Grinch. If someone mentions the Grinch, you say, oh yeah, the Grinch. That's Emmanuel. Only it's not some fiction by Dr. Seuss. It's a prophecy from a man who turned out to be true about everything else he said. So for a guy like Joseph, for people living in his day, it's always in your subconscious. Emmanuel, is he coming? And when? Who will he be? Where will he be from? What will he be like? And they could have actually expected a child. So I think that's part of why when Joseph sees this happen, it's in the back of his head. Grinch? Emmanuel? Is this the thing? Is this the thing my parents read to me every year? Is it happening now? Because when you're open to the possibility, then you start looking for it. Looking for the presence of God with us. Where does God show up in my life? Where might he show up in your life? And that's really the second thing for you that I would invite you to today. Look for the presence of God with us. It's the anticipation. It's the longing. When you think about Christmas morning and all the presents and all the excitement. You know, one of my favorite Christmas movies is Elf. And I, I skipped it for like three years when it came out because that's just me. I'm, no, no new Christmas classics. What is, why, why does Will Ferrell think he can stand up to Frosty the Snowman? Everyone else is laughing. It's so good. You got to see it. And then when I finally saw it, I was like, this is great. This is a new Christmas classic. <laughs> and one of my favorite parts is, is when they're in the uh, department store and the manager announces that Santa is coming and Will Ferrell goes nuts, right? Like, Santa's coming! And he spends the whole night prepping and he's putting up decorations because he's super pumped. Like, that's what Emmanuel is like. That's what they've been waiting for for centuries. That's why you have angels singing and shepherds showing up and wise men come all the way across the planet to try to meet Emmanuel. He's here. I know him. This is their moment. They're looking for it. They're longing for it. And they believe that it's true. Right? You notice that the manager in Elf is not as excited because he doesn't really think it's Santa. <laughs> Elf is excited because it's Santa. See, they knew that God had been showing them all through history the promise that he would be with them. They knew that he was coming and the moment was finally here. That's really what the song, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, is meant to capture. It's that excitement, it's that longing, it's that sense of the need for exactly who God is. And in fact, that song was first crafted over 1,200 years ago. It's one of the crazy things about Christmas songs. Like, some of them are from, like, 1962. But this song is over 1,200 years old. And we just sang it again today. And when you hear that song, there have been men for centuries, translating it from Latin into French into German until finally, it was in 1861, a man named John Mason Neal translated it into English as we know it. 
So you hear 1861, you think that's history, right? John Mason Neal, I mean, look at this picture. Doesn't seem like he's that happy of a guy. So I just want to say, if any of you ever submit a picture of me to the public domain, try to find one where I'm smiling, please, okay? All right. Uh, But John Mason Neal was one of the brightest students at Cambridge, but he was absolute garbage at math. And so he never got this notoriety as this incredible scholar because he didn't have the whole picture together. But where he excelled was in languages. And so he began translating, especially old hymns and old spiritual songs that had encouraged him in his life. Because he was trying to live as a follower of Christ, spreading the hope of who Emmanuel is to the world around him. Because you see, Christianity carries this idea that if God is with us, then we become God with us. That when I live the way God has made me to live, when I love because God has loved me, forgive because God has forgiven me, when I reach out to help others because God has helped me, then it's like I become the presence of God to the people around me. One of the things he did was he actually started a society that was entirely built around helping people who were sick. Invested incredible amounts of time and energy and money into that because he was trying to live out Emmanuel. And what I love about that is that for 1,200 years, like if you think about this, that means whoever the first person was that wrote this song was some seven, 800 years removed from Jesus coming. That at that time, they had access to more technology and more science than anyone else who'd ever lived on the planet before them. And that could be said of every single person over 1,200 years continuing to translate this song. You know, because sometimes we get this little thing, like, we, we have this, like, recency bias that we think, you know, we're the smartest or we know the most, and, well, people from the past, you know. And yet, Emmanuel has been passed forward for thousands of years. No matter how smart we get, no matter how technological, no matter how much science we discover, people keep saying, you know what we need? We need God with us. We need God with us. Every day. And two of, the, two of the lines from that song that stand out to me the most, at least over the last couple months, one of them says, death's dark shadows put to flight. And one of them says, give them victory over the grave. You see, I want you to hear that that is the promise of Emmanuel. Not just rejoice, not just peace, not just hope, Not just be kind to your fellow man for at least 25 days until we get past Christmas, right? I know you get all the same things in the mail that's like they think that we're not generous except for like two days a year and so they better get us on Giving Tuesday, right? But it's more than that. You see, the message of the Bible, the message of God with us is that he loves you so much he wants to hang out with you forever. But every one of us has been separated from him by the stuff that we do wrong. The stuff that falls short of his perfect glory. And we can get into arguments with each other, ranking like, well, mine's not as bad as yours, or well, mine's definitely worse than yours, or whatever that is. But when God looks at it, it's quite simple. Every one of us has had a break in our relationship with God. And God with us, Jesus Christ, through the death that pays that penalty, and the resurrection that conquers death, offers us that gift of eternal life. That ultimately the message of the Bible, the the message of God with us, of Emmanuel, is not that we're bad people who need to behave better. It's that we're dead people 
who need to be made alive. And that has really stuck with me over the last couple of months because a friend of mine here from Horizon named Mike died of cancer about two months ago, maybe about three months ago now. And Mike was a guy that until a few years ago would have been in the category of ignoring God for years. And as he told his story, he would tell you how God had come into his life. How for the first time he felt like he was actually getting to know Jesus instead of just knowing about Jesus. How God with him meant that he was overcoming anger, overcoming pride. It totally changed the things that he thought about or worried about or... And even when he got cancer, I remember first talking to him, he was like, I know God has a plan through this. And as he was dying, one of the things he said was that cancer is not overtaking me. God is taking me over. And the last time I got to see Mike, just before I left, he told me, you know what I'm excited about? Like, what? I know that God has prepared a place for me so that I can be with him forever. I don't know how that hits your heart this morning, but that is the gift that's being offered by Emmanuel. That it is, I mean, I experience this on a regular basis when I realize working with my kids, talking to my wife, that I'm out of patience. It's amazing to know, like, God is with me and I can say, Wait a minute, the Bible says that you have unlimited patience. Could I borrow some? <laughs> and his answer is yes, that's what he wants. Like, you can ask my wife and kids the difference in me, like this confession time, I guess, but the difference in me when I try to be great dad on my own or when I go talk to God about it first. And after Mike passed away, I received this painting from him. I didn't even know he was a painter, <laughs> but he left this for me, and when I first saw it, I thought, that is a beautiful sunset, and then I thought, or maybe it's a sunrise, and I didn't get to ask him, because he's already gone on to heaven, but the more I thought about it, I thought, you know what, I don't think it matters, because even as the sun has set on his earthly life, he has the confidence that the Son has risen on his eternal life. You see, that kind of peace, that's what we celebrate at Christmas. That the little baby that was born is just the beginning of a life of truth and love. Of a death to cover everything that you're thinking right now that you've done wrong that you hope I never find out about. Everything I've done wrong, I hope you never find out about. All of those things we can bring into the light because Jesus says it's forgiven. In fact, one of the other things that Isaiah says about this child is actually, literally, I just turned one page, and you might recognize this. In Isaiah chapter 9, he says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. Those are the words that Handel used to write his Messiah. Another piece of music that we hear at Christmas. I just listened to the whole thing yesterday for the first time in my life. It's actually pretty amazing. 
Because God is inviting you and I to celebrate the peace of God with us. Celebrate the peace of God with us. No matter what's happening to you today, no matter what's going on in your life, you can be at peace in the midst of it because you're not alone. That God wants to be with you. So I wonder, as you think about this kaleidoscope, if you could pick anywhere in your life and say, man, I wish God was with me there. Even if, you know, like Pep, you're still a little bit uncertain about this whole thing. To me, it's one of those like, man, wouldn't you want this to be true? Like, where would that be? Is there a crisis or an illness? An opportunity? For me, like I said, one of them is just... With my kids. I would love to know that I'm not alone in this parenting thing. I would love to know that there is, did I get this right? Divine power available to help me with my kids. That actually sounds pretty good. Or what about in marriage? In in those moments where marriage is so difficult, even though you really do love each other, so why doesn't it feel like it right now? That God's actually saying, I would love to be with you in that. I would love to help you there. In fact, I can heal the things that are hurting. I can heal the things that are painful. I can show you peace in every relationship. How might the things that you're afraid of or anxious about, the places you've been hurt that it's hard to forgive, change if God was with you? Because when God came in the flesh as Jesus Christ... I mean, think about this. They could shake God's hand, give God a hug. Of course, since then, as the Bible records it, Jesus has gone back to heaven. But when he left, he said, I will send you my spirit. That God is still every bit with us. That we haven't lost any of his presence just because he's not here in the flesh. Because now he wants to live in us and with us and through us. Until... He comes again and takes us home like it was always meant to be. So my invitation for you is to spend Christmas like God is with you. You know, and maybe as you hear that, maybe like Pep, you just want to take the next couple of weeks to read one of these biographies about Jesus. In the Bible, they're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're named after the four guys that wrote them. Pep and I are going to be reading Mark. If you like the Christmas story, pick Matthew or Luke. They both start with Christmas. Maybe it's one of those things I just listed. You say, yes, that's a place I'd love for God to be with me this week. And in all of it, it may be that it just starts with a simple prayer. To trust that Jesus is your Savior and is God with you. Let's pray that way right now. Maybe you even just want to use these words. God, thank you that you want to be with me. I need forgiveness, and I trust you for it, Jesus. Would you be with me as I go through my daily life and remind me that you are God with us? It's in your name that we pray. Amen.